it's not going to be your average Mother's Day sermon. Hallelujah, right? <laughs> kind of used to some of those uh, sappy Mother's Day sermons that sometimes you hear and um, just a lot of different things. Uh, my title here is uh, More Than a Woman. And uh, I, when I was preparing for this, the song of uh, the Bee Gees kept going through my mind. You know, the more than a woman, you know. Um, I spent some time walking around the house and it got stuck in my head. And my wife said, will you stop singing that song? Yeah, you know. But really, um, I think God's word really teaches us uh, that uh, you are more than a woman. And uh, I really want to say something to all the women and the young ladies here today, uh, that you are more than a woman. Uh, you are more than the reflection you see in the mirror. You're more than the numbers that you read when you step on a scale. You're more than the wrinkles you see when you put on your makeup. You're more than the number of heads you turn when you walk in a room. You're more than how many meals you serve. You're more than how tastefully you decorate your living space. You're more than how many titles that you accumulate. You're more than how successful you are. You are more than how men think of you. You're more than how culture evaluates you. You are more than just a woman. Are you not more than just a woman? How do you know that? Could it be that it has something to do with a man, a carpenter, a rabbi that lived 2,000 years ago named Jesus? Is it possible that the encounters that Jesus had uh, with women that are recorded for us in the scriptures, that it had ripple effects that have gone out and have even affected us to even this day? This is what I want us to look at here this morning about some encounters that, that Jesus had and how Jesus challenged the culture of what people perceive of what women are. And you are more than a woman. So let's look at a few things here about this. And uh, this morning, in order for us to understand what Jesus did and what he is still doing, um, we're going to have to kind of put it in the culture or the backdrop of Jesus' day. And uh, so I'm going to give you some historical things, and I just want you to bear with me here as we kind of go through these, and these things are interwoven here with these scriptures um, that really show us the culture of Jesus' day. Uh, I want to tell you about a common practice in the ancient world in, in which you might not be aware of. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, there was an enormous shortage of women. There were about 140 men per 100 women. So the obvious question is, what happened to all the women? Where did they go? A historian by the name of Rodney Stark said that they were left to die when they were born the wrong sex. Leaving an unwanted infant to die of exposure was a very common practice in that day, and it would sometimes happen with male babies if they were deformed, but it would happen much more often when little babies were born girls. 
I want to read to you a letter from a first century man named Hilarion to his wife, Alice. This is a letter that they found. And this, this letter, this man named Hilarion is writing to his wife, Alice, about the coming birth of their child. And I want you to listen to the, um, the, the callousness and the care that is, that is in this letter as he writes to his wife, Alice. He says, Know that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry if when all the others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech of you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If good luck to you, you bear offspring. If it is a male, keep it. But if it is a female, discard it. In ancient Rome, there was a law called the Law of Romulus. This law stated that all fathers were to raise all the male children that were born to him, but only the firstborn female child, all other daughters were simply just disposed of. This was the world of which Jesus was born into. As a matter of history, why did all of this change? What, what changed the culture? What changed the thought? What changed the, the idea of women being more? In many of these cities in the first century, there were little movements of people that said that all children matter to God. And that all children, males and females, carry the very image of God. And therefore, this practice of discarding children was wrong. This movement of people rejected this practice of discarding female babies. And it was known that the early church cared and adopted these female babies. They would go out into the cities, out into the areas where these babies were known to be discarded. They would bring them into the church and adopt them and care for them and raise them as their own. And soon enough, society started taking notice of this practice that the early church was doing, and it changed the culture. People said, man, this is something to this. These people care about children. They care about these babies that are being discarded. And eventually, the practice stopped of discarding female babies. It was said of these Christians, they took their value of children from their teachings of this man, this carpenter, this rabbi named Jesus, from the way he would welcome and bless the children, from the way that he would welcome and treat women, there was a tenderness and an acceptance that drew people to him, and it still does to this very day. In ancient Athens, girls would receive little or no education. Girls were legally classified as a child, no matter how old they became or how high their IQ was. They were always the property of some man. If a married woman was seduced or violated, their husband was legally obligated to divorce her. In fact, if men seduced a married woman, the punishment for him might be more severe because that woman might be tempted to give of some of her husband's money or property. Laws about women were always about laws about property. In the ancient world, a woman's highest calling 
was to bear children, particularly male children. In ancient Sparta in Greece, a woman that gave birth to a son would receive twice as much food as a mother who gave birth to a daughter. The only women who got their names on tombstones were women who died during childbirth. They wanted women to know that the only calling in their life was to bear children. And so this was the society that Jesus was born into. This is the society that he encountered and, and he, he uh, made a way of, of trying to change and, and showing of, of the, the, the direction that it was that it was wrong. One day while Jesus was teaching, we read about this here in Luke chapter 11, verse 27 through 28. It says, and as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Can you imagine what a statement? But you think about that with that statement, understanding the culture that Jesus was in, and here's this woman saying, your, your mom, she's great. She bore you because you're a male child. What did Jesus say to that? Look what he says. No, you got it wrong. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus challenged this culture. He told her, no, you have it wrong. You see, for Jesus, the highest calling for a woman is no longer simply to be a child bearer. Even though motherhood and fatherhood is a very noble thing, it's not the ultimate calling in your life. You see, the highest calling of a woman is the highest calling of a man because they share a common humanity. The highest calling of a woman is the glorious adventure to know, to do the will of God in whose image you are made. You see, because of Jesus, this calling is available to every single woman. Regardless of your age, your marital status, whether you're able to bear children or not. This was a remarkable concept that Jesus put forth. And it was unheard of that Jesus would challenge the culture of the way that it was during that day. Jesus is teaching here in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Boy, when the Lord says your name twice, watch out. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Martha here has been doing all the preparation work that was a custom for a woman to do. Hosting and serving, preparing, working, doing all of these things. 
And we're told here that Martha here has this sister named Mary who does what? Who sits at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said. Martha gets a little upset and complains to Jesus about this. Now many people will turn this story into a story about busyness. And it's better to be quiet Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus than the busy Martha. But no one in the first century would have read that text that way. Because remember the culture. Men are the ones. Men are the ones. Women are eh, just discarded, discarded. And the phrase here, look what he says. That he says, Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. This was a phrase that was used in ancient Israel at that time that meant you were becoming someone's disciple. Paul used this phrase as he gives his testimony in Acts 22 saying that he sat at the feet of Gamal. Gamal was a rabbi and, a, and Paul was his disciple. And he says, I sat at Gamal's feet learning from him, being mastered by Gamal, he taught me. And that's what we find Mary doing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, becoming a disciple. And she's there becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Martha did what the culture valued in women. She cleaned the house, cooked the food, served the guests. Mary did what the culture valued in men. She became a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, Mary got it right. Every woman knows here, every woman here knows and feels what it's like to get stereotyped. I heard a story about a couple that went on a marriage retreat. And as they were there on the marriage retreat, uh, the, the man that was speaking, he was talking about how important it is for men. You ought to know what your wife likes. You ought to know uh, what she values and, and what, she, what she likes to, to be around and, and enjoys and all these things. And he says, now, men, we're going to do a little test. He says, what I want you to do right now is I want you to tell your wife what her favorite flower is. And this one man, he leaned over next to his wife, put his hand on her, on her hand and says, honey, it's all-purpose Gold medal, isn't it? <laughs> you see, Jesus here is inviting women. Jesus is inviting women to be his disciples. And this was challenging the stereotypical view that was given to women. The longest conversation that is recorded for us in the Gospels between Jesus and another person is in John chapter number 4. Many of us know that story of the, the Samaritan woman who comes to the well. Uh, and Jesus is there after a long hot day. He's trying to get a drink of water. And he's there and it's between Jesus and a woman. And as he's talking to her, this conversation was a very unusual conversation. The disciples that tells us they came back and they were amazed that Jesus was talking not only just to a Samaritan, but to a woman. They were amazed at this because it's just not what you did back in that day, even if you were a rabbi. 
At one point, Jesus tells her that she has had five husbands, and the man that she's living with right now is not her husband. You see, this is very significant and unusual in this conversation. If we were reading that, most people would look at that and seeing married five times, the man that you're living with now is not your husband. What is the immediate thoughts that already automatically come to your mind? We might be thinking that this woman has been sexually immoral and unfaithful. But actually, it has a little bit more different flavor than that. Remember, you have to think about the culture during this time. We don't know from this story of how many of those marriages ended in divorce or how many of them might have ended because of a husband's death. The reality in that day is that divorce, although there were provisions for it, was hardly ever initiated by a woman. In fact, during that day, men could divorce their wives for simple things as just even burning the, the evening meal. And so we don't know the whole story about this woman, but we know that Jesus knows she's been married five times and the man that she's living with now is not her husband. This woman was a rejected woman. She's poor. She has to go to the well to get water. She didn't have servants that she could hire to do that for her. She's going and doing it herself. She can't afford it. And this is the woman's current financial situation. She's living with a man who's not her husband. Could it be that during that time, that if a man, we know that during that time, that if a man wanted to have another woman in the house, that she would actually go, that he would actually go out and find a woman that is of lower class, a poor woman, and bring her into his house as a second wife or a concubine? That could be this, this woman's situation. And this woman, her only chance of survival is that situation. And as she talks with Jesus, has this encounter with Jesus, Jesus is saying to this woman, I know you. I know you are a woman. I know that you are a Samaritan. I know that you are very poor. I know your story. I, Jesus, care about you. You matter to me. And I want you to know me and to follow me. Jesus sets at this well and engages in a very deep theological conversation with this woman. And five times he learns that she's been married, she's been rejected, she's poor. And is it any wonder that when that woman leaves and she goes back to the town, she cannot stop talking about this man? Because he is treating her like someone who has her own identity as a human being now. Men in Jesus' day had this way of defining women by the kind of men that they had in their life. I heard a, a, a story about a, a very rich, powerful CEO that was driving with his wife. And they stopped in at a gas station. And as they stopped in there, there was a gas station attendant, and the, the wife knew the gas station attendant. And she went up there, began talking with him, conversing with him. The man's out there, you know, getting his gas pumped. 
They get back in the car and he says, well, who was that, honey? She says, well, I used to know him. I, I dated him. Hmm. Well, aren't you glad you uh, married me? I mean, I'm CEO. You know, if you had married me, you, you wouldn't be married to a CEO. And she said, no. She said, if I would have married him, he would have been the CEO and you would have been the gas station attendant. <laughs> See, Jesus challenged the culture of that day. He broke down the walls, the barriers, the stereotypical way that men treated and valued and how they viewed women. Let's look here at another scripture. In Luke chapter number 8, verses 1 through 3. Jesus is changing everything for women what it says here it says soon afterward Jesus he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, now notice this, and many others, many others, many other women who provided for them out of their means. You know, sometimes we just kind of glide right over that. Don't even pick up on that. We miss how shockingly they were in the ancient world you see, in the ancient world, women did not travel publicly with men. They were encouraged to just remain indoors, to stay inside. And here Jesus forms a little community of women. And they're going out and they're going through the villages. They're preaching the good news of the kingdom. And these women who are traveling together with these men... From one town to another, they're studying together, they're learning together, they're doing ministry together, and they are providing for the ministry out of their own pocket, giving their own money to support this. Do we understand how counterculture that this was? Can you imagine what kind of rumors were flying around about, about these disciples and about Jesus and about these, uh, uh, these followers of Christ? And women are paying the bills. You see, Jesus did not only uh, think it was threatening or demeaning about this, he actually welcomed it. And he gives women this new dignity Another way in which Jesus changes the world for women is that he gives women a new purpose. We saw this in Mary and, and becoming a disciple. We saw this here with uh, women being part of his community. And we see this as he sends the Samaritan woman out to tell other people about him. But one of the greatest places that we see it is in the resurrection of Christ. You see, in the Gospels, it's women who follow Jesus to the cross. Where are the disciples? Where are the men? They fled. But the women went to the cross. 
And we find there that in all four gospel accounts, this task of being witnesses to proclaim the, the resurrection is first only given to women. Look what the text says here in Matthew 28, 8 through 10. So they departed quickly from the tomb, these women. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy because they went to the tomb. They went there. They had just seen Jesus die on the cross and he was buried and they go over to the tomb and when they get there, he's gone. The tomb's empty. And with great fear and joy, they run to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them. And I love this. Look what he says. Greetings. Can you imagine? It's almost like one of those like magic tricks. Ta-da! Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You see, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was resurrected, it's only the women who see him first. And it's the command given to the women first to go and tell the other disciples that Christ is resurrected. I mean, this is amazing to, to think about this because Jesus was doing something so cool for women during this time. Because in the ancient world, women's testimony was not valid. There was an ancient Roman historian named Celsius a century or two uh, after Jesus who wanted to discredit the resurrection he wanted to discredit Christianity as it began to spread throughout the, uh, throughout the world at that time. And he says this about the resurrection to discredit it. He said this, the resurrection rests on the tales of hysterical females. See, one of the ways that we know that the resurrection account is true and can have great confidence that the Bible treats the resurrection carefully and historically is that all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are told that women are the first to witness the resurrection. If the resurrection was just some made-up story, if it was just some fabricated lie by the Jews and they... they went and worked and put some stuff down together on paper, guess what? They would have not used the testimony of women. In Israel as well, a first century Jewish historian named Josephus wrote, let not the testimony of women be admitted. And as a general rule, women were not allowed to give testimony in a legal trial. Let me show you another uh, scripture here about this. In Luke chapter 24, verses 9 through 11, it says, In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. So here's the women. They're coming back to the eleven, the eleven disciples, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Jesus is resurrected. We saw him on the way over here. He said to meet you over here in Galilee. He's coming. We know that he's resurrected. And look what it says. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did 
not believe them. Now you can imagine how frustrating that must have been. Has there ever been a time in your life when you know that you know that you know that you're right and someone says, you're wrong? This was very frustrating for them. I would have loved to have been there just to see their jaws drop when Christ appeared to them. And later on, we, we read that Christ, uh, the disciple says, uh, the Lord has risen indeed. <laughs> and so can you imagine what it did for the sense of dignity for these women? That God chose them as witnesses to the most significant event in the history of the world that Christ resurrected and they were the first ones to tell. In Rome, women were always under the control of either their husband or their father. Have you ever heard of the, the phrase giving your hand in marriage? How many of you have ever heard of that? Okay. It had a very uh, interesting spiritual significance about it. You see, if you were given into your husband's hand, you renounced your father's God and now worshiped at your husband's altar and his God. But if, you, if your hand was not given to your husband's hand, your, your hand still remained in your father's hand and you continue then to worship your father's God and to worship at his altar. Either way, in the Roman Empire, she was either in her father's hand or in her husband's hand. And so she worshiped her father God, her father's God or her husband's God, but not so with Jesus. In the Jesus movement, they had a higher God than their state and the Roman Empire, their father or their husband would allow. They would defy custom and sometimes risk their very life to be a follower of Jesus. And they did that many times. Women played a, an extremely dynamic role in the early New Testament church. Paul in the New Testament talks about households of faith. And these households were large networks of people. And many of the gatherings of these believers were in the homes of women. It is well known that in the early church that it attracted a very high and a very unusual number of high status women. Some of these women who lived in relatively spacious homes hosted a congregation that met in their home. Jesus' treatment of women changed and challenged the culture. It radically altered the position of women, elevating them to a partnership with men unparalleled in the very first century. Consider these first century women ministers mentioned in the New Testament. Philip's daughters in Acts chapter 21.9. Priscilla in Acts 18.18, 18, also verse 26. She's also mentioned in Romans, Romans 16 verses 3 through 5. And in 2 Timothy 4.19. How about Phoebe in Romans 16 verses 1 through 2. Or Junia in Romans 16.7. Or Chloe in 1 Corinthians 1.11. Or Udiah and Synecdoche in Philippians 4 verses 2 through 3. How about Nymphia in Colossians 4.15. Or Aphia in Philemon 2. Or the chosen lady in 2 John chapter 1. Or the chosen sister in 2 John uh, verse 13. And Lydia in Acts chapter 16 verse 40. One early church was found in the community called Serta. 
that was seized during the first century persecution. And as they begin to dig out this site, they found, archaeologists found goods that were given to the members of that church. And in that church, they found 16 male tunics. So we at least know that there were 16 males that were a part of that church. 38 women's veils. 82 ladies' tunics, 47 pairs of women's slippers, and six copies of the Women Today magazine. I'm just kidding about that part. Um, But the reality is, is in the early church, women played a significant, important role in the early New Testament church. Women flocked to the early church Jesus is why an aged woman named Apollonia, when she was taken by the Romans during the second century persecution to be burned alive, she was beaten, she had her teeth knocked out, was offered her freedom if she would renounce Christ, but instead chose to spring into the fire and be consumed. Jesus is why Julian, who was the first woman to write a book in English in 1395 about Jesus called Revelations of Divine Love, which is still studied to this day centuries later. Jesus is why so many women have traveled continents, spent decades learning a strange language so that they could translate the gospel, have planted churches, have cared for the sick, have educated the illiterate. It's because of this man, Jesus, who challenged the culture and welcomed women in our own culture, which tells women you are, you are what you see in the mirror. What if every woman saw herself as Jesus saw her? What if that was so with every woman here today? What if it was so that uh, the community that we lived, we cheered each other on as brothers and sisters who bared the image of God? Women and young women of Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship, prize your lives. Use your gifts, build your character, feed your mind, take great risks, dream great dreams, pray great prayers, awful humble service, unleash your strengths, not to prove anything to anybody because you are more than the image in a mirror, because you bear the image of God. And you are valued and you are treasured highly by God. Let's pray together.